welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Amen, amen, amen. Why don't y'all open your Bibles and join me in the book of Mark. The book of Mark, the seventh chapter. Baby, can you pass me that water right there? You see that water? If you dare say amen, you need some time, just look up on the screen, amen. Mark chapter 7, beginning at verse 24, I'm going to read the evens, you're going to read the odds, and we're going to read the last verse together. Y'all, y'all with me? Amen. I got evens, what y'all got? What we going to do in the last verse? Amen, amen, amen. Here's the word of the Lord. It says, he got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. He said, he didn't have to about it. A woman the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Altogether, and when she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed and the demon was gone. I just want to tag our text for this morning, the anatomy of a dangerous faith. The anatomy of a dangerous faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come before your word together, corporately as a people of God. We thank you that your word has life in it, that in your wife, life and belief in the name of your son, the Lord Jesus, is eternal life, that we may know you and your son whom you have sent. And so, Father, we pray that we would know you today in that way. And if there are any in this room who don't know you by faith, that today would be the day their lives would be made different that they would go from death to life and receive the life that you give through your son. And so, Father, we are prepared to receive this word today that you might increase our faith, O God, today. That we might believe not just on the name of Jesus for salvation, but that we might believe that you are, are, are for our good in everything and in every way. Father, we pray in the name of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you agree with that, say amen. Amen, amen and amen. Go ahead and have a seat. The anatomy of a dangerous faith. Have y'all noticed uh, in these current times that kids don't go outside and play no more? Maybe that's why 
Kids don't just be as happy as we used to be growing up. They're not getting enough sunlight, enough vitamin D, you know? And, and, and one of the reasons, not the only reason, but I think one of the primary reasons that kids tend to stay inside more is that because kids today have been spoiled by on-demand accessibility. I mean, I have too, but I've earned that right through life experience. I, you know, I spent 20 years watching the dial flip over and just waiting to see what time stuff was coming on. I, some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about, but listen. Yeah, the TV God, I couldn't even remember what it's called. It's been that long, Pastor. It's been that long. I, you know, I tell this to my kids all the time. I tell them, I say, man, y'all spoiled. Y'all don't know what it's like to have to wait for your show to come on at a certain time of the day. And if you miss it, you done missed it. Ain't, ain't, no, ain't no started over from the beginning. You, you can't binge watch nothing. Life was just different. Like y'all just, y'all got it made. Y'all are spoiled. You know, like Netflix has spoiled us. See, some, some of y'all don't know. See, back in the, Netflix wasn't always like this. You know, when Netflix first started, you had to order your DVDs through the mail. Wasn't no streaming. They didn't have no streaming. You had, there were, there were a number of different plans. You could get one DVD at a time, two DVDs at a time. If you, if you wanted to pay a whole lot of money, you could do three at a time. And you had to wait for them to send you the DVDs, which took a couple days. And then, then sometimes you would get the wrong one because people was trifling, would put a different DVD in a little packet. But, but for what you had to do was you had to, you had to go online to the Netflix account and you had to set up your queue. See, some, some of y'all too quiet because y'all don't remember. You had to set up your, your queue because you had to put your movies in the order you wanted to receive them in. You had to set up your movies in order of priority. And whenever you sent a movie back, they would send you your next movie on your queue based on the designated order that you had already established. Some of y'all ain't with me this morning. Listen, I, I, I'm just saying that Jesus, when he came to earth on his mission, had a designated priority. The Jews, his chosen people, those who were the beneficiaries of his covenant of promise. And if you were not a Jew, you were not part of the designated priority. And yet in a story such as this, we get to see a sneak peek of God's mission through Jesus touching the world beyond the Jews. Mark's account moves from the idea of clean and unclean foods in verses 1 through 23 to that of clean and unclean people, the Jews and the non-Jews, here in these verses, in verses 24 through 30. And if the proper inference from the teaching of Jesus in these earlier verses is that all foods are clean, which he says in verse 19, then the lesson that's to be learned in this passage we're going to tackle today is that all people are clean. See, this, this uh, account 
is more of a pronouncement than a miracle story in form because what it does is it uh, pronounces and shows the inclusivity of God's kingdom. And, and, and here's the thing, unlike experiencing the opposition from the religious teachers and, and the ignorance of his own disciples, we get to sit at the feet of this desperate Gentile mother as she teaches a master class on the type of faith that God responds to. This brings me to my, my first point this morning. Dangerous faith is rooted in humility. If we want to know the characteristics of a dangerous faith, the kind of faith that God responds to, we need to know that dangerous faith is rooted in humility. Look at the text with me. Verse 24 says, he got up and departed from where he was to go to the region of Tyre. And he entered a house and and didn't want anyone to know it, but could not escape uh, notice. Jesus at this point in the story is searching for privacy. In chapter six, he had sent the disciples away to go do some ministry. They came back and he said, listen, we need to go away and get refreshed. I need to spend some time with you all and we need to spend some time together in the word so I can train you a little bit. But because Jesus is so popular, guess what? People saw him. People wanted something from him. They came around. They said, you got to you got to teach us. So Jesus sat around teaching them. They what did he do. He fed the four thousand. And, and, and what should have been a time of isolation and rest turned to another opportunity of ministry. And, and so Jesus, the God man, the God of heaven, don't want to be around nobody right now. <laughs> because he got some other things he needs to accomplish. It's interesting that people are in need of him in this moment. And yet he's willing to not meet their needs because he has a greater priority. <laughs> I'm, that's, a, that's a sermon for another day. But, but, but Jesus is trying to find some privacy and, and so he goes to this region not to minister, but so that he can train and spend time with his disciples and then instruct his disciples. And the text is explicit that he's trying not to be seen. He's trying to go incognito in, the, in, in these parts. The unfortunate part for Jesus is that back in chapter three, he had already come to this region and done some ministry. And so who he was couldn't escape notice. Jesus, because of all the work that he was doing and all the crowds that were following him, the very place he thought he could go to to escape and find some rest is a place where somebody saw him and said, there's a need that I need met and Jesus is here, so I got to go get to him. And so here we have this woman. We're introduced to this woman. The Bible says instead, immediately after hearing about him, so she heard through the grapevine, Jesus is in town. Jesus is here. Jesus around the corner, around the way. When he, she heard that he was here, it says, immediately after hearing, this woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit, a demon, a demon uh, 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 came and fell at his feet. It's an expression of deep respect. And, and it, it showed the significant personal grief that she had over the condition of her daughter. The, the, the text says in, in Matthew chapter 15, which gives the same narrative account, Matthew talks about how she went to Jesus and kept calling out to him. Je- Jesus, Lord, uh, son of David, L- Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And, and the Bible says that Jesus wouldn't say nothing to her. Can, can you picture the screen, the, the scene? Jesus is trying to get away. 
from, from being asked to do any type of ministry in this season. And this woman hears that he's nearby and she has a serious issue as a parent. Can you imagine seeing your child being possessed by a demon? Now, the, the Bible here in this text doesn't describe what her symptoms was like, were like, but we see in other texts what, what, what some of the things that were happening to kids when they were demon possessed. They, were, they would writhe and, and have convulsions. They would try to throw themselves in the fire or try to drown themselves. So you can imagine the predicament of a mother seeing her daughter anguish in pain, uncontrollable pain, and the doctors can't do anything about it. Her family can't do anything about it. Praying doesn't seem to be working right now. And the only person that she feels like can actually do something about her situation, she goes to him, goes on her feet and on her knees, face down and cries out, Lord, have mercy on me. I need you right now. And he doesn't answer. You ever been there? Desperate unsure of what life is doing to you. You done turned everywhere you could already turn and nobody has an answer. And so then you go to the Lord and you expect to hear from a God because all we've been saying all morning is that God wants for your good. All we've talked about all morning is how the promises of God you can trust in. And then you go to him in your time of need and he don't answer. Matthew says she fell at her feet. His mother kept crying out over her daughter's condition. You know, you know what this convicted me? I was convicted by her, her just remaining there in the face of his silence. And I, I said, I said, man, I said, God, I need to, I need to strengthen my endurance muscle in prayer. I, 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 I give up too quick. I say, man, you know, my... I got a bad left knee and uh, all this time praying is uh, making me stiff. I got to get up and walk around a little bit. You know, I prayed two times. God heard me. That might be enough. That'll carry for the next few months till I think about it again. Some, some, listen, some of us got to strengthen our endurance muscle. So, so, some of us get, get too afraid to keep praying. You know, you know why we really stop praying? Because we're afraid of what God might actually say. So she crying out to the Lord, Lord, hear, hear, hear me, this, the son of, uh, 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 of, uh, of David, hear, hear me, Be, have mercy on me. And the interesting thing is that the, the, the Bible, Mark here in this text, he, he, he has a way of stressing the woman's non-Jewish identity and it's purposeful. Take, 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 a look, take a look at this. He, he says in verse 26, he says, the woman was a Gentile, uh, a Syrophoenician by birth, uh, and, and she had a request of Jesus asking the, the, Jesus to take the demon out of her daughter. And so there were several things already working against this, this non-Jewish mother as she comes to Jesus. One, she was a woman. And, and, and therefore, one who will, who with, uh, uh, and so any teacher or that one with a res, or, or respectable Jewish teacher would not just associate with having a conversation with a woman one on one by himself. Not only that, but she was also a Greek, not not Greek, not from Greece, but a Gentile by culture and religion, meaning that she was considered unclean in Jewish custom. Right? She was also Syrophoenician born. 
uh, or born in Phoenicia, modern day Lebanon, Matthew called her a Canaanite woman. That, that means that she hails from a city in the Old Testament described as godless oppressors of Israel. And so most Jews shared the prejudice that Gentiles were unclean, not by religious ceremony, but by nature. And so the state of her daughter's condition would lend them to being both seen as comprehensively unclean. Not only are they unclean because they're Gentiles, but she's also spiritually unclean because she got a demon. She's got some things working against her already. There was a hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so her request creates a dramatic tension in the text. That such a woman would choose to approach a Jewish healer and even fall at his feet indicates either desperation or a remarkable insight into the wider significance of Jesus's ministry. And so she takes a posture of humble confidence in the face of all the things that should have been natural, cultural, and religious stop signs on her way to see Jesus to make a request of him that most likely could not be fulfilled anywhere else. But she did that in humility. If you've got all of these things working against you, if, if, if Jesus in her mind is the type of person that socially speaking I should not engage with, then it takes a lot of humility to go to that person on your knees and cry out for mercy. And so the posture she takes in even approaching Jesus in the first place was she came with no expectations and yet great expectations. Dangerous faith is rooted in humility. But, but not, not only that, dangerous faith isn't distressed by initial rejection. Somebody got to take that home with them. Look, look, look what Jesus says to her after she approaches him and then makes the request for Jesus to heal her daughter. Jesus, will you heal my daughter? Have mercy on me. Jesus says, let the children be fed first. Because it ain't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. <laughs> I'll tell, tell you right now. Listen. It's a, it's a whole lot of names. You can call me. I don't know about dog. <laughs> Jesus, by saying this, not only doesn't promise her anything, but he what he's doing is declining her request. His apparent refusal to help in a situation of what looks like clear need conveys on first reading an impression of harshness and an insensitivity. But what Jesus is actually doing is he's putting before the woman an enigmatic statement to test her faith. Because you know, faith isn't faith unless it's tested. 
let me make an observation for you. Not one single person who walked into this room this morning examined the chair that they were sitting in to make sure that when they sat down, it would hold them up. Why? Because you had faith that was built upon prior experience. Even if the chair that you're sitting in today is a chair that you've never sat in before. Because of how the chair is built, because it seems sturdy, because nobody sat down before you and fell, you sat down with full confidence that that chair would hold up your weight. The chair, and most chairs in general, have a track record. What I'm trying to say is, there are times where we have more faith walking in a room and sitting down in a chair because of its track record than we have in trusting our problems and the difficulty of our circumstances to the one who has a perfect track record. Because I know y'all have seen on social media somebody sit down in a chair before and fall. And yet you still show up and trust a chair. And for some reason, even though we know that God has never failed, you still have trouble trusting him with all your mess. Even though he's got a track record. See, some of the circumstances that should have strengthened our resolve in him left us discouraged or worse throwing a, a, a throwing a temper tantrum mischaracterizing God and his and his nature and who he is and how much he cares about us see but here but here this this woman this this woman for some reason there was something about this woman, this, this non-Jewish, non-promised beneficiary woman, that, that there was something about what she believed about Jesus that strengthened her resolve in the face of a no. And so Jesus' reply was cast in figurative language that the Gentile woman could grasp. See, the children represented... Uh, the disciples and in a larger context Israel and the children's bread represented the benefits of his ministry to them and the dogs represented the Gentiles and so Jesus is making a point by way of illustration that worthless food is cast to the dogs and in Jewish Palestine dogs were regarded as scavengers but in some well-to-do households influenced by Greek culture, which this woman would have been familiar with, dogs or little dogs were considered and were sometimes house pets. And so Jesus here is not talking about the, the, the larger scavenger dogs that are in the streets. He's referring to the little house pet. You, you know, uh, uh, and so what Jesus is doing is he's making an illustration that the children must be fed before the pets, meaning that the Jewish people 
had first claim of his ministry. They were first on his cue. And so Jesus' response to this simple request makes me ask some more questions. How do I respond when I hear no from Jesus? And if we're to take any cues from this Gentile mother, what should we do to model the type of faith that she exudes? Or will we continue to turn to gods of our own making that never offend us? See, that, that, that's one of the, I've always found that you, you know that you walk in with the true God of the Bible when you regularly get offended by him. If you never offended by God, like if he never makes you mad at some of the stuff that you say, that he says, I, I, I'm pretty sure that you ain't got a full relationship with the God of the Bible. Because there'd be some times I read stuff and I'm like, come on, God, for real. Ain't nobody got time for all this right now, God. But we, we, we don't know, the text isn't clear on whether or not this non-Jewish mother felt offended by Jesus' statement. But we do know that even if she was, it didn't stop her. Because she realized that he had the right to refuse her request. She, she has no rights to receive benefits from him. And yet, she pressed a little further. Because she knew that what she cannot demand by rights, she can still freely receive through faith. Some of y'all might have missed it. She knew that what she could not demand by rights, she could freely receive through faith. See, if, 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 if you're a good listener like she was, then you might have noticed that she probably hung on to the way Jesus phrased his response. In other words, like some of y'all millennials like to say, she understood the assignment. She, 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 she said, he, he said, let the children be fed first. See, the word first implies that Gentiles still have a ray of hope. So she heard first, and her mind didn't say, I can't be fed. She heard first and said, well, that means there's still a little bit left for me. She noticed, based on context clues, that Jesus didn't say all of the food would be gone or that all of the food would be given away to the children. All he said was that they were first on the queue. And so, and so she replies to him. She says, she says, but Lord, 
Even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. <laughs> Ooh, no. It feels like she battle rapping with Jesus. Like he, he spit a bar, then she spit a bar. Listen, her, her point was that there need be no interruption in his instructing the disciples or his mission to Israel for all she humbly requested was a crumb. A small benefit of his grace for her desperate need. Listen, I, I don't have a dog at home. My kids keep asking me for one, but I don't have one at home. But if you've had a dog, if you've been at dinner over somebody's house and they've had a dog, you know that dogs know when it's time to eat. And they don't care about what's in their bowl because for some strange reason, they know that what you got is better than what they got. And so dogs ain't got to hear no bell. They just see people start gathering around the table. That's like Pavlov, right, Dr. Sarita? See, I got a little psychology one-on-one in me, I know. And so when they see people start gathering out the table, dogs begin to make their way over. And they get excited. And they start sniffing in your hand and licking in your hand or, or, or walking around at your feet. And because, because what? They want a little taste of what you got. And, 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 and they don't necessarily want you to put your plate on the floor for them. They just want you to share a little bit. She's, she, listen, listen, the, if you're a dog owner, the master of the house, you don't snatch food from the kids to feed to the dogs and make the kids wait for the dogs to eat first. And so she's not asking for a catered meal. She's not asking for a, a full course, a, a six sit down dinner where you got two desserts and an appetizer and, and then a full meal and then a couple more desserts. She, ain't ask, she just wants a little crumb of Jesus's power for a little dog. That's, that's all she wants is a little crumb. See, see, the woman did not deny the precedence of Israel. All she does is merely suggest that what Jesus said did not exclude the Gentiles. This is a little side note. Notice how she accepted an unfavorable position of her predicament without it undermining her faith. See, the God of heaven can handle both feeding Israel and taking care of her little issue. And she will gladly accept the rank of household dog if it means she gets fed. See, this woman, this woman, she recognizes Jesus's authority and her dependence on his help. Her faith in what she believed Jesus could do for her had to have some endurance because her faith wasn't depending on her ability to change anything on her own. And so she had to have endurance because her faith was not in her. Her faith was in someone else as a last option and a last hope. Let's bring me to my last point. Dangerous faith relies on a power 
greater than itself. Here's the thing about faith. Is faith requires an object outside of itself which it cannot operate independent of. I'm going to say that again because I don't know if y'all heard it. Faith requires an object outside of itself in which it cannot operate independent of. That means it is not your faith that you have faith in. There must exist an object greater than your faith with the resources to supply for you. That's what you can't get for yourself. Which is why you don't make the decision to place your trust, your weight, and your confidence in that thing. Which is why you make the decision to place your trust, confidence, and weight on that thing. Your faith is not the object of your hope. Your faith is the mechanism you use to acknowledge that even though you are powerless, you have an assurance that tomorrow will be better than today. I, I like what... Uh, H.B. Charles says in his book, The Kind of Prayer That God Answers, about the posture of our prayers on account of our faith. So God, God answers the type of faith that manifests itself in sincere prayer. Those who make prayer their first response, not their last resort. He, he responds to those who have reverent prayer, meaning before you tell God how big your problem is, acknowledge how big he is. God responds to honest prayer. Stop hiding from God. That's my translation. And believing prayer, confidence and expectation that it won't work out if he don't help. Look what he says to her. Verse 29, and he told her, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. And when she went back home, she found her child lying on the bed. And guess what? The demon was gone. To Jesus, her reply demonstrated the depth of her faith. I like what Matthew says. Matthew says, that Jesus responds, says, woman, your faith is great. See, she was not concerned with merely giving a witty reply. Like any parent, she was desperate, wants healing for her daughter and will go to any lengths to get it. And so the irresistible confidence of this woman delighted Jesus. Because her reply betrayed her humility and simple trust in his power to change her situation when all help failed. And so he says, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. See, the verb tense describes a completed verbal action that occurred in the past, but produced a state of being or a result that exists in the present. And so the emphasis is not on the past action so much as it is the present state of affairs resulting from the past action. Simply put, Though Jesus never spoke a word of healing, the cure was already complete. I don't know if you caught that, but Jesus never said anything to 
the demon or to the daughter. He never proclaimed any type of be ye gone from her. He never said no, come out of her now. He never said any type of rebuke. All he did was tell the woman, go home, the demon is gone. Jesus didn't even have to say nothing. All he had to do was declare that it had been done. And it was done. But no, but no, but notice, notice this because the woman's faith didn't stop post Jesus healing her daughter. What, what do I mean by that? When Jesus says that the demon has left her daughter, she doesn't insist that he go home with her to make sure. Listen, the same way that she came in faith, she left in faith. That when she got home and kicked her door open, and looked at her daughter laying there that she knew not when she got there and laid eyes on it but that she knew from the moment that Jesus had proclaimed it was so that her daughter was already here <laughs> see faith, faith ain't faith if you gotta see it faith ain't faith if you only believe what your eyes have laid hold on that thing that God said was going to happen. Faith says, I don't need to see it. But I heard it from somebody that's trustworthy. So the, the great thing about this, this text is, is that the, the dialogue between this woman and Jesus, rather than the exorcism, is the focus. The focus of this text is not the removal of the demon from this little girl's body. That is just a footnote. The focus of the text is the woman's response by faith to what Jesus told her. So what's the, what's, what's the implication? The implication is that God will heal Gentiles. No matter how unclean or how far away from God they may seem. See, others might dismiss someone. You might dismiss someone that's being from the wrong race or the wrong social class or the wrong religious background or the wrong sexual orientation. But none of these things prevents one from receiving God's merciful healing and those who exercise humble faith. Anyone who exercises humble faith will receive bread. You know what dangerous faith does? Let me tell you what dangerous faith does. The writer of Hebrews says, and what more can I say? For time is too short to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises. You get the idea. Shut the mouths of lions, quench the raging fire, escape the edge of the sword, gained strength in weakness, 
became mighty in battle, put foreign armies to flight, women who received their dead, raised to life again. Other people were tortured by faith, not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others by faith experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned by faith. They were sawed in two by faith. They died by the sword by faith. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute and afflicted and mistreated. But the Bible says that the world was not worthy of them. For they wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. Yet all of these were approved by what? By their faith. They were approved by their faith. I'm getting out your way. I love sports. Love sports. One of the sports that I don't feel a great connection to is hockey. So I don't know much about the rules of hockey. I know you got a score in the net, that's about it. But one of the things that I do know is there are times when a game is very close and one of the teams is desperate. They begin to use a strategy that's called the empty net. And what they do is they take the goalie who protects the net, who guards the net so that the other team can't score, they take the goalie off of the floor and they put someone on the floor in his place specifically designed to play offense. And so what they're doing is they are fully selling out in that moment on the offensive side of the, the puck. I was about to say the ball, but the puck, they don't use the ball in hockey. The offensive side of the puck so that they can try to score in these last moments. But doing that makes them vulnerable on defense because the net is wide open and nobody's there. There is no safety net for them. There is no plan B. If this doesn't work in their favor, then they are destined to fail. As I woke up this morning, I began to think about that strategy. I began to wonder and ask myself and challenge myself, does my faith have an empty net strategy? Do I sell all out, putting my full weight on Jesus? Or do I put just enough so that I have a backup place in case I think God's gonna fail? All I showed up to say this morning, is that if we want to have the type of dangerous faith that God responds to, then you need to take your goalies out of the net. You need to replace them with somebody on your bench. And you need to go all out by faith as you trust in him. I know it doesn't seem all right right now. I know you haven't gotten good reports from the doctor. I know your bank account ain't where you thought it would be. 
I know your kids might be acting a fool and acting crazy. All I'm here to say is that if you can trust him by faith, if you cannot hold on to any other hopes and any other resources, if you can, what the text says, do put your weight on him so that if you fail, you're going to fail at least with him. All I'm here to tell you to do is trust him, 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 trust him by faith. See, the beautiful thing is we have a heavenly father. He says, the text says, you think that you as earthly parents know how to give good gifts. <laughs> guess what? You, we don't compare to our father in heaven. And guess what? He wants to bless you. He, he wants you to lavish his grace upon you. But you got to challenge yourself to persevere and endure through what on the surface might seem like a no. What might seem like a not yet. You got to keep pressing. You got to keep pressing. Because by faith, that's all he's waiting for. He just wants some people to come by faith. Look at all the miracles Jesus did in, in, in his earthly ministry. Guess, guess what they all got in common? They were, they were done for people by faith. So the question for us this morning is, will we be the type of people that God responds to? Because we know that he's able to handle all of our concerns if we do it by faith father we thank you lord for this morning thank you for this time in your word we pray god that we would be a people who would hold on to you we would hold on to your word that we would hold on to your promises we might not have all the answers we might not know exactly what scriptures to run to but if we can just hold on by faith God we know that you'll be with us so Lord we, we are praying like that father prayed when you cast the demon out of his son after you came down from the mount he said Lord help me increase my faith that's our prayer this morning oh Lord Help us to the gate today, God, and increase our faith. This we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. This is the time as we prepare to transition to communion. If you're at home with us, you got a quick second to go around and grab something for to represent the bread and the drink and if there's anyone here with us in, uh, presently that needs uh, 
communion. Could you raise your hand so we can see who you are to make sure everyone has the opportunity to participate with us. And hospitality will come around and serve you. Anyone, if there's anyone, just make sure you have your hand high so we can see you. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body which has been broken for you. And as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. And afterwards, he took the cup and he blessed it and said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which has been poured out for the remission of your sins. And as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Amen. Receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace from now and forevermore. And if you agree with that, say amen. Amen, amen and amen. God bless you. We love you. Praise God for you. We will see you next week by God's grace. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.